You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, good morning and welcome to River. And uh, it's really good to see you guys this morning. I'm feeling a little bit distracted. I showed up without my glasses and it was one of those things that like, ah, this is going to be a bad day if I can't read the Bible. Thankfully, we have tractor supply next door. So if you're ever down your readers, you can go right next door, $9.99. You can buy a pack of three. They're great, you know, so... Uh, <laughs> You're good to go. I, you know, they get a little free advertisement this morning. So anyway, hey, take your Bible if you would, guys. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. And uh, if you're online, so glad. You hope you got your coffee this morning and joined us. And uh, we miss you guys. And uh, we'll be glad when things settle down and you can come back and join us here Sunday morning. But we've got a, a full house, a full socially distanced house, I should say, right? <laughs> and uh, so anyway, you know... Uh, Remember, go back with me to the, the night when Jesus was betrayed and, and he was in the upper room there with his, his apostles, those 12 disciples, closest followers of his. And, and he, as he was preparing those apostles for what was about to come, his forthcoming trial and execution and dying on the cross for us, he, he said that one of you is going to betray me. And if you remember as he shared that, that that they got all nervous and kind of went around the table, is it me? And it finally landed on Judas, and Judas, you know, he already had in the back of his mind what he was thinking about, and he said, is it me? And Jesus said, yep, it's you. But Jesus, in that moment before that, said, it would have been better for that person who betrays me for them to have not been born. Now, that's God himself, the Son of God, making a pretty strong statement Jesus later referring when he's praying to the Father just before, um, or later in the Bible in the book of, of John, uh, chapter 17, he, Jesus is praying to the Father. He said, all those that you gave to me, I keep, I have kept. And Jesus keeps those who trust him, that he saves them and he holds on to them. He says, except the son of perdition. The son, that's what the King James says, the old school English, the son of damnation, we would say, the son of destruction. And he's referring again to Judas. Judas clearly was not a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, that term, son of destruction, son of damnation, perdition, however your translation and works, or however it says it, is also the same term that's, refer, that's used referring to Satan, uh, who clearly was not a follower of Jesus Christ. So, have you ever wondered how Judas could have spent three years walking with Jesus, hearing the teaching, seeing the miracles, hearing Jesus say wonderful things that, you know, even though you're a sinner, I'll forgive you. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Can you ever, have you ever wondered how, how could he have done that? How could he have doubted that he was in the presence of the Son of God? How could he have not committed his life to him. I mean, it was right in front of him. He, he saw all the miracles. He, he knew Jesus. He was there with them 24-7 as they lived three years, as much as all the apostles were. And he, he saw the calming of the storm and heard the, the teaching of the, the Sermon on the Mount that we call it, just the amazing teaching of the truths of God. And yet in the end, he preferred to make a little money off of... Off of betraying Jesus to, the, to the, the Jewish leaders so that Jesus would be tried and, and executed. It, it kind of blows my mind that, that as human beings that we could be that thick, 
that clueless, that out of touch, that so self-focused into the immediacy that we could trade an eternity for a little bit of money in our pocket or a little bit of coin in our pocket. This morning, we're wrapping up the little section in 2 Peter talking about these false teachers, pseudo-teachers, literally is what it says, these fake teachers. They, they look and claim to be one thing, but in reality, there's something else. They claim to speak the words of God, but they're really speaking their own words. That was like Judas early on. When Jesus sent out the, the apostles, he went out, and he went out talking to people about, about Jesus. He... He spoke those things. He was around Jesus' people all the time. But yet in the end, his life showed that he was one of those false teachers. He was a, somebody who claimed to have faith in Jesus Christ, claimed to have put their faith and trust in him. But in reality, they, they did not. I want to talk to you this morning about religion without reality. Faith without substance, we might say. Spirituality without anything that's, that's real behind it. And it is, it's something that is very common today. But Peter warned us that it was, gonna, was common and was coming in his day, and it's absolutely in our day as well. So, so look with me in 2 Peter chapter 2, and we wrap up chapter 2 this morning. The Bible says this, These are waterless springs and mists, driven by a storm, talking about these, these pseudo-fake teachers. They're waterless springs, mist driven by a storm, just here today, gone tomorrow. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, if that happens, then the last state has become worse for them than the first." Very similar to what Jesus said about Judas. It would have been better had he had not been born. For it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. A little bit gross, right? And the sow, the, the, the female pig, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire, in the muck and in the mud. Peter gives us a, a warning about these false teachers, but he, he touches on how not only dangerous they are in somebody else's life, and be careful to who we listen to, but he talks about, and it's a warning to us, to make sure of the genuineness of our own salvation, of our own, our own faith, that it's clearly possible to, to fool yourselves and to, on one hand, to, to begin to follow a Christian lifestyle and to learn about the teachings of Jesus and to go to church and to begin hanging around other Jesus people, but ultimately to say, you know what, I'd rather do this over here and to do what Judas did and walk away from that and go back to our old junk and our old ways. And the reality is, 
as if never of trusting Christ in the first place. Three things I want you to notice about, about these individuals and three warnings, if you will, three dangers, but three, three things that we need to be careful with. These, these pseudo-teachers and when what we're talking about are people who profess something that they do not have. They profess that which they do not possess. Peter, Peter says they're waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. Have you, have you ever gone out and maybe you can see the low-hanging fog or the air when it's kind of thick and a storm blows in? It just it blows it away. It just whisks, whisks it away like as if it is nothing. Peter says these are they're, they're empty. They're worthless. A waterless spring is absolutely worthless. A well, when a well goes dry, it's still a well, right? Even if it's a dry well, it's a well. But when a spring grows dry, it's nothing. I remember we were, my family and I, as you guys know, we like to hike in the Adirondacks, and there's a lot of springs all over, right? And there's this one particular lake where we have camped before and hiked back in, and, and, and when you're backpacking, you just you bring your water filter and you filter out what water you can have. Streams taste really amazingly good. Ponds are kind of like last resort, and it's clear. It's you know when you get it, it's filtered. It's perfectly good to drink. But the spring water was amazing, and so we walked back in, you know, a few minutes to this spring that we knew about. And I remember, you know, all little water bottles, all excited to fill up, you know, for the night. And it was just a, I mean, the tiniest of trickle coming out of it, like nothing. And I'm like, like what happened? This thing has been running for years. We went back, to, I think, the next year or the year after, and same deal, all, all dried up again. Useless. Peter says, these false teachers, they're useless. They're, they're empty. They're, they're full, full of hot air. They, pro, they profess that they have the following of Jesus, that they're following Him to be the real deal Christians, to be, to be living the lifestyle they carry the Bible, if you will, and they, they talk the right talk, and they you know, live out that kind of life for a season at least. But truth of the matter is, is they're empty. There's, there's nothing behind. It's just, it's just mere words. They are completely waterless springs. What Peter tells us is, is these individuals eventually go back says eventually they will fall back into what they knew before. They, they came out and they washed themselves like that pig, you know, the, they cleaned up their life, they began to, to live a little bit differently. But truthfully, truthfully, it was not something that God was doing inside of them. It was something that they were kind of through a good resolution and more discipline in their life, kind of you know, vowing to do better, if you will. But in the end, they go back to the sinful habits, the sinful patterns, the self-desire, their own goals and their own plans, and they fall back right completely into the mess of the world around them. How does that happen? Did they really trust Jesus? And did somehow they stop trusting Him? So in other words, they were really saved back here as a child or maybe as a young adult, but later on they renounced that? Or did they really not trust Jesus and the reality of who they were finally shows over time? The second choice is what the reality is. 
You see, the Bible tells us very clearly that, that God, whom God saves, that when we trust and put our faith in Him, that is not something that can be undone. Let me read to you from the, the book of, of Romans. Romans chapter 8. Let me find it quickly. In Romans chapter 8, the Bible says this, and there's a lot of passages that talk about it, but this passage, uh, I think, just kind of gets to the heart of it very quickly. And it says, it says this. The Bible says that, that we know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good. Everything. For those who are called according to His purpose. That's, that calling is a calling to salvation. It's a calling to faith. For those whom He foreknew that He knew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He called. He called to that salvation. And those whom He called, He justified. He declared to be righteous and good and godly despite all the evidence, despite the realities of their life. What that means for you and for me is that even though we have sinned in our past and we will sin in our future, that because God in heaven puts His hand down on us, He calls us and He makes a, a legal judgment over us and says we are innocent, we are righteous, we have Jesus' righteousness put on our account. That's what it means that we are justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. That's the completion of our salvation that comes into the future. That's the salvation that we experience when we finally are in heaven before God and God finishes that makeover in our life. And He not only covers our sin legally, but He fully imparts and completes the giving of His righteousness pragmatically and in, into our lives, He glorifies us. And if you read those things, they're all written like past tense, like, guys, this was done in the past. Those He foreknew, He predestined in the past. Those He predestined, He called. Those He, he called, He justified. And those He justified, he, he is already glorified. So for you and for me, from God's position and God's perspective, our salvation is a secure, it's the, the most secure thing that you and I will experience in our life more secure than anything. I was looking for an analogy to share, but there really is no analogy on this earth. Because what God has done, you and I can't undone. We can't undo that. Our salvation is secure. So this passage in 2 Peter, we can look at and says, well, Sean, these guys knew Jesus. Well, they knew Him like Judas knew Him. They hung out. They heard the teaching. They saw the... They, they, they saw the lifestyle in other people and they conformed on the outside, but on the inside, they were still the same. Take a pig out of the mud and you can clean it up and wash it up. And some people I hear make pets out of them. Have any of you ever had a pet pig? I would love to know that trivia. <laughs> Nobody here has had a pet pig. Some of you have got boys and that's even worse than a pig. So, so you, you know, bro your brother does? Does he like it? Loves his pet pig. You can clean and wash that pig up in the tub all you want. You can put a little bow around it, and you can even put lipstick on it, as the saying goes. But you let that pig go, and it's still going to be a pig, and it's going to go to the muck and the mire every time. Why? Because its nature is the same. That's what Peter's warning us. All through the book of Peter, guys, what he's been telling us is, guys, make sure you're the real deal. 
Make sure when you put your faith in Jesus Christ that you're adding virtue and you're adding knowledge and self-control and you're adding endurance and perseverance to your faith. And make sure that you're careful about these false teachers, these pseudo-fake teachers that are out there. You don't want to start following that and make a mess in your life because... And we're going to see in chapter 3, because Jesus is coming back, and it's all about that. He's, you get the heart of a, a pastor, of an apostle saying, guys, make sure that you're following true and right and real in all of this. These individuals profess with their life that which is something they don't really possess. They claim to have a relationship with Christ, but they do not. Jesus warned us in Matthew 7, He says, Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, not everybody who claims to know me is actually going to go to heaven. That's a sobering thought. He says, many in that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many works, many wonderful, marvelous works in your name? See, they're confused. They're like, Jesus, wait a minute. I, we worshiped you. We, we, we know you. We know your teachings. We served. We did all this amazing stuff. And Jesus says, and in that day, He says, I will confess to them. I will say to them, I, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work iniquity or lawlessness or sinfulness. See, they claim to be good on the inside, but really they just were a little bit good on the outside. They claim to be doing a lot of ministry and stuff, but it was all on the outside. And on the inside, Jesus was like, yeah, I'm looking at the inside and I still see all of your sin. I don't see the righteousness of God that's covered you. You think you're going to heaven, but you're not. You say you know me, but you really don't, because I don't know you. You're not one of my kids. Jesus gives a warning to all of us that, that we should be careful to not follow just anybody who claims to speak for Jesus. People that profess something that they really don't even have themselves, and rel Christian religion, Christian churches all over America are filled with these individuals, these spiritual leaders that speak the words of Jesus, do all kinds of wonderful things, but really in their heart, they still are the sinful person that, that is unchanged, that God has not declared them righteous because they've never really surrendered their life to Jesus as Lord. He says, be careful that you don't follow those individuals. And secondly, it's a warning to us to be careful to not be that individual. It's easy, it's especially easy when you've been raised in church all your life as a kid, you don't know what life is like apart from that. And it's easy to be around that lifestyle and to know the lingo and know the language and to believe up here, but not to believe in here. And so I want to challenge you this morning, guys, that if you have never really submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, if you've never really surrendered to Him, and committed your life to Him to be your Lord and your Savior. This is a warning. Jesus said, or Peter says, guys, be careful. They profess something that it's, doesn't exist. It's not lasting. It's not real. It's, 
It's empty. Second thing I want you to notice, not only do they profess something they don't have, and because of that, we need to be careful that we don't make that same mistake, but they, they proclaim or they promote something that isn't real. Look at what they say in verse 18. The Bible says this, for speaking loud boasts of folly. They're not quiet. Loud. They're loud and proud boasts of folly, foolishness, things that are worthless that you feel foolish about when it's finally discovered. They entice by sensual passions of the flesh, those things we desire. They entice those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. Peter's saying this. He says, guys, these pseudo-fake teachers, they're predatory. They're enticing new followers of Jesus who have barely just come to faith in Christ, who barely have escaped the lifestyle of error. It's an interesting way to describe the world around us, people's lives that are in error. I can't stand when I go to a website, right, and I click on the link, and it gives me an error message. And I'm like, but I wanted to go there. I, like, I, I needed to go there, and it says error. Can you imagine when your whole life is described in error, one big error message, one big mistake that can't be fixed? That's the world around us. And Peter's describing this. When you and I come to faith, he says, these people are barely making it out of that, barely escaping by the skin of their teeth, brand new followers of Jesus, and they're vulnerable. They're vulnerable to these, these loudmouths, these promoters of something that's not real, folly and, and foolishness. And what they're doing is they're enticing these new believers in their words to fall back into the same sin and junk that they are just now coming out of. They're promoting something that they themselves don't have, and I'll talk, talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but they're enticing those individuals to these passions of the flesh. You need to think more than just you know sexuality, if you will, or more than just a, a hunger, a feeding of your body. The, the Bible's describing all of the, the desires that you and I that have that are wrong, whether it be revenge or jealousy or all these things, unforgiveness. It's, it's talking about greed. It's talking about all of that. How many people... How easy it is to find teachers today who, under the guise of Jesus and under the guise of spiritual speak, act as if you and I should all walk around as millionaires and never suffer you know, any kind of financial hardship. And in the process, they're feeding our own sinful desires. It's not wrong to have money, but if you put money in a higher place than God, then you've got a real problem. You've got to got it in your life other than Jesus. And it's wrong when we don't take care of those around us as Jesus taught us and to be free with it. Our hope and our future is not in money. And it's so easy under the guise of Christian faith to lead people down that road, to, to entice them, to promote that which is not real. These individuals are well thought of. They're speaking loud and proud because they're socially acceptable. They have many followers, and they can have great influence. And Jesus, our Lord Jesus, is telling us, that's not for you. Be careful. They promote something that isn't real. Just because somebody makes a lot of noise doesn't make them worth listening to. Third thing that we need to be careful with, not only are these... Do these individuals 
profess something they don't really even have, and they promote something that's not real, a life that they think is going to give a blessing to them, but doesn't. Money doesn't feed your soul and provide what you need ultimately. It's in the end, it proves to be worthless in eternity. But that step then leads to the third one is they promise something that can't deliver. Something that won't deliver. Look what he says. He says, they promise them in verse 19, freedom. It's how they entice these new believers in Christ that haven't learned the, the Christian worldview. They haven't learned what it means to really uh, live out a life yet of faith. They, they trusted Jesus. They're born again, but they're their life still hasn't, they still haven't fully experienced that and experienced all those changes, and they're vulnerable, and they promise them freedom. But they themselves are slaves of corruption, slaves of, of, of the corrupting sin in their heart. And Peter warns us, he says, for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. They promise freedom. The world around us promises a better life if you will just pursue and do what they have for you. The better version of you, the best you you can be. Well, Sean, those are good things. Well, to a degree, yes. But can I tell you, the only one that's going to really make you the best you is Jesus. There's nothing else out there that can do that. You can't do it on your own. The, the new fad of what's going on isn't going to do it for you. The better exercise program and eating better is not going to give you the best you. Sean, are you downing all of those things as bad? No, I'm not. But if you're putting, if you really are truly trying to be the best you through those avenues apart from Jesus, you've got real problems. Only the Lord Jesus can make you the best you. You see, those things are promising something they can't deliver. In this case, what Peter's talking about, he's talking about the, the, the individuals that, that entice with sin and they lure, they dangle out like a fish to, you know, like when you go fishing, to ensnare and entrap and to capture. And they, they do a bait and switch. They're, they're proclaiming that, hey, come do this because you're free. Jesus has saved you and now you're free. But in reality, they just jump out of one ditch on one side of the road and they overcorrect and they land in the ditch on the other side of the road. You see, under the guise of freedom, they begin to think, well, wow, you mean I'm really free from my sin? Yes. Romans tells us there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. There's none. When you trust and receive Christ as Lord, you're in Jesus, and there's no more condemnation done. God looks at you as you are completely perfect and pure in His eyes. And these individuals take the next step and say, well, if, you're per if I'm perfect and pure in His eyes, then I can go out and live however I want. Woohoo! I'm free. Almost like a you know, an immunity card that you get to play every time you want to do something. If we're not careful, we can presume upon grace and justify a lifestyle of flirting and playing with sin. In fact, usually when you and I consciously get into sin in that moment, somewhere in there we've made a decision that it's okay, God's going to forgive me. It's not that big of a deal. And actually, we're playing into ensnaring ourselves, enslaving ourselves back to that. 
and we're giving those habits, those thoughts, those experiences, those natural desires an outlet that enslaves us and captures us. Rather than following our Lord Jesus that loved us, who loved us and died for us. Peter says, be careful. You know, the Christian faith at some level needs to be treated carefully. It can be dangerous. You can use it. You can weaponize it. There have been a lot of cults and a lot of religious groups in the world that have weaponized the Bible. And Peter's saying, be careful with those. Our life should follow the Lord Jesus and that He saved us and justified us from our sin, but He also knows it's almost as if God is schizophrenic and He's not. It's, he's not. We're the ones that are schizophrenic, if you will, or you know, confused. But He declares us legally to be innocent and good, but He also knows we still wrestle with sin and we still struggle. So He's choosing to overlook our sin because He sees the righteousness of His Son. But then He steps out of that and says, but now let me help you really get out of that sin. And he wants us to live righteously in obedience to him. And that's what he was talking about in the first chapter of Second Peter, about not just being saved and experiencing the justification, that being just and right with God, but, but adding and growing in your faith and your life that's out of that and, and, and living that out in reality. Because when you and I don't, we enslave ourselves voluntarily to the other junk around us. Now, sometimes individuals are enslaved into that because they never really trusted Jesus. But in time, that will show. John the Apostle, in, in, the, in the, his little letter in 1 John, says those individuals went out from us because it was obvious they were not of us. Because they had been kind of of us, they would have stayed with us. In other words, if they were part of the family of God, they wouldn't have gone back to the muck and the mire. They wouldn't have wanted It's like, yeah, I'm going to go back and eat some of that vomit again and all that junk that should be out of me. They choose that. And it's obvious that they're not a part of the family of God. So be careful, because what you give your life to ultimately is what you enslave. Let me give you an example with, with, with alcohol. And there's a lot of things I could use, and I'm not picking on, on alcohol. Some of you, I'm sure, have, have struggled in the past with alcohol. Alcohol for us as a people, if you think about it, is an escape. It's, it's an escape. I want to go have fun. I'm not even talking about drunkenness. I mean just alcohol. It's a social escape. It's a, oh, I've had a hard week. I just want to knock back. Oh, I've had a hard day. I want to have my glass of wine. Um, I, you know, I, I, want, I want to feel differently. I want, you know, I want to experience, and I want to have, have that. It's an escape for us. And, and there's other escapes. It's not the only one. There's lots of them. Uh, in the past, I've had to confess and be careful sitting on a computer just as an escape, not doing anything wrong per se, just like, wow, I'm trying to numb my pain by this and it's really not healthy and it's actually sinful. But what happens in that, that escape, the individual that begins to pursue that and even justifying freedom, if you're not careful, you begin to find that is your crutch and that is your hope and that is your, you begin more and more relying on that and what you're doing is slowly putting the handcuffs around the wrists, and you're enslaving yourself back to that. And, bef and before too long, you become and begin to experience the physical addiction. Initially, it's the psychological addiction of just, oh, I need that release, I need to have this, and, 
and all of that. And you go down that road, and Peter's warning us, whatever comes and becomes something that we can't live without, it overpowers us, we become enslaved to that. We become enslaved. That can be many, many things. It can be our homes. It can be our, our families. It can be our reputation in the world around us. We can be enslaved to wanting people to think good things about us. It can be all kinds of stuff that you and I become enslaved to. When Jesus saves us, guys, he delivers us and he cuts all of those strings gone. And he frees us, delivers us. And the last thing that we need to do is to go back to all of that, to all of that junk. That's what Peter's telling us this morning. Be careful. Be careful to follow the popular Christianity that claims one thing in freedom that you can go and do whatever, when in reality, it's a gateway to another form of enslavement, another form of you entangling yourself. And for some individuals, it really is the fruit and demonstrates that they don't know the Lord Jesus and they're lost and they're like Judas. They're like these individuals that will live in eternity separated from a holy God in heaven. For others who truly are born again, it will make a mess of their life. God has saved them and loves them and will deliver them even at that in time. But meanwhile, they have to suffer a whole lot more junk in their life. And God loves them enough to help them, and He will. And to a degree, you and I will all have some of those things that we struggle with. But Peter's telling us, be careful. Escape those things. That's why Jesus died and he loves us. Let me leave you with this last illustration. I was reminded of this recently. In fact, my family and I were just talking about it. When I taught one of my kids to ride their bike for the first time, we, we lived right next door to a church, had a huge parking lot, uh, bigger than the one in front of Tractor Supply. It was just a really big parking lot. Great place to learn how to ride a bike, right? And there was one telephone pole, there was one obstacle that really was not an obstacle because it wasn't in the middle of the parking lot, it was at the very end in the corner. And I started my, my, my child on one end, and I kind of half-joking, like, go wherever you want to go, just don't hit that telephone pole. And I mean, it was, it was 100 yards away or more. And you know what that child did first time without, you know, train wheels, whatever, just, you know, rickety-crickety, and they went right to the telephone pole, 100. And I'm like, they got to be kidding me. And you know what happened? They're like, oh, Dad said, don't hit the telephone pole. I'm going to keep my eye on that telephone pole. Don't hit that telephone pole. I'm like, That's what happened, right? Psychologically, we do that. You know, don't, by the way, if you teach your kids how to drive, don't do that. Because the next thing you're like, Dad said, don't hit that parked car. Like, there's a reason I don't, didn't teach my kids how to drive. Instead, it should be, honey, just stay over here and everything's good. And she'd be like, okay, Dad, stay over here. There's a practical lesson in that in reality. When you and I become enslaved to sin, we need to own that sin. We need to recognize it. And we need to know there's a telephone pole over there that we've become chained to. But along the way, we need to walk away and say, you know what? I actually need to not focus on that telephone anymore. I need to focus on the Lord Jesus who loved me and saved me and freed me. You can't get other junk out of your life unless you focus on the new stuff. And the new stuff is Jesus. So my, my advice to you, if you're struggling with some of that enslavement, own up to that, confess it, engage, be accountable, all of that. But fill your life with the good stuff of worshiping Jesus. 
And at some level, you need to begin to forget that stuff. The Lord has forgotten it, and you need to forget it because He's forgotten it, and you need to focus on Him. So I'm going to leave you with that word. I don't know what God has spoken in your heart today, but something in that world, maybe you need to revisit and really re-examine your salvation. Maybe it's something you just prayed a prayer and thought the incantation, hocus-pocus words would just magically, bippity-boppity-boo, make you a Christian, and they don't. Have you really surrendered your life in faith to Jesus Christ? Maybe you're struggling in that world. Talk with somebody, somebody that will help you and love you just to, to help you sort that out. The God of heaven wants you to know where you stand with Him. He wants you to know where you really are. So seek His help and talk with somebody. Maybe you're struggling with some sin, and maybe you know it's sin, but you still are just kind of riding into that, that telephone pole time and time again, and your eyes just on it the whole time. Maybe you do need to just say, you know what, I'm going to need to leave that alone and worship the Lord Jesus. I don't know. But whatever God has spoken in your heart this morning, would you respond to Him? Pray with me. Father, I thank You for our Lord who loves us and saved us, who died on the cross for us. Father, thank You that You truly free us. And we're so, so tempted and easily lured back into lifestyles of habits and patterns and just junk that You saved us out of. And You break the cords of those chains day one when we're saved. And we truly can live free. But Father, we know that we voluntarily go back. Help us to not justify that. Help us to live free. Help us to live in the fullness of a life with You and joy, knowing that we're forgiven no matter what and to have a sense of peace and hope in that. But to also know that we're still to live responsibly before You. Help us to live with those two realities, I pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.